Uh, well, hello everyone and welcome to another uh, Trading Insights with FXT. Uh, you've got myself, Tim Muirhead from Arbidine and Michael Berman, the CEO of uh, FXT. How are you, Michael? I'm good, thanks yourself, Tim. I can't believe it's a week already. Yeah, that's right. It. Flies by. So this is like, uh, episode 25. I can't believe we've done 25 episodes. So yeah. nine, currently the 19th of January and... Uh, Look, we've got a bunch of uh, stuff to talk to again this week. I was just going to read that. So we've got to look, we do a market wrap as always. Uh, we've got a question on uh, the Chinese economic growth, uh, what their decreasing population means for the rest of the world. Uh, we've got a question on the US debt ceiling. How does that impact things? Uh, there's a question on uh, the BOJ, Japan Central Bank. Um, and will they continue to defend its yield curve targets? That's a very timely given what happened yesterday. Um, and look, no doubt we'll probably throw in a crypto comment or two, as we normally do. <laughs> Evergreen stuff. So, um, yeah, well, look, I guess um, we'll just uh, give a bit, a bit of a quick market wrap. Um, so, look, um, look, last couple of weeks, things have been pretty bullish, I guess. Um, we were talking last week just how... The market had really changed. We had a, um, uh, you know, a pretty bleak end to 2022, uh, and then looked since January's came round, things seem to be um, improving. And, and I guess the, the the big driver is just the inflation. You know, look, last year was all about rising inflation. This year's it's been falling inflation, and it basically means the Fed can take their foot off the brakes, which is let um, interest rates. Uh, come back down and you know the markets have uh, obviously people have been bearish and short and there's probably positioning and maybe just the new start to the year uh, but look I guess um, the bullish case for stocks I mean okay so we mentioned inflation coming down we've got US at full employment you know 70% of their their uh, economies um, based off the consumer uh, the US dollar's been weakening. Um, the rising dollar last year was a tailwind, now it's a headwind. Uh, we've seen Europe rebounding. Uh, and look, a lot of the tech layoffs we've been seeing, even Microsoft last uh, just last night announcing another 10,000. I mean, mm. while obviously very negative for the people getting laid off, I mean, it means um, the stocks can be profitable. So that's, the, I guess, the, uh, the backdrop for the bullish narrative and the, I guess the bearish one is the technically the, the, the S&P 500 it's got up to 4,000 there's a very clear channel I think everyone can probably see that on a you know a six to 12 months time frame uh, we've just backed off overnight we had some weaker data out um, and it's just a case of will the Fed keep um, raising rates or will they hold them higher for longer than the market expects so um, it's quite an interesting junction now. I mean, it could go either way. I don't really have a strong view. Um, you know, um, I guess we'll know in a, in a week or two how things go. If we break the upside, obviously it could run. Look, if we start um, dropping through levels, I mean, you know, it's going to people will backfill the narrative as they always do and yeah. uh, uh, delete any any tweet that they said, which was in the opposite manner and uh, claim right. But uh, no, mm -hmm. I, I jest. But uh, what do you see, Michael? Yeah, well, let me quickly take you through um, uh, a quick overview of the way I'm seeing things. Um, but yeah, uh, and and I, I, f I feel like we're in the middle of an interesting like place. Like we're on the fence on a couple of things, and I'll just talk you through what I mean there shortly. But just to start with, I'll just focus on year to date what's happened, just so we get a like a sense of where we're at with things. You can see that Ethereum and Bitcoin have been the star of the, the month year to date um, up very strongly. You can see, I mean, that's off the back of a week last year, but still, um, that's a pretty decent, uh, a pretty decent start to the year. You can see also the Hang Seng and the Chinese index has been strong. Aussie index also been strong, and um, yeah, gold up four percent. If I look on the downside of things, yeah, what's been happening on the downside? Okay, I'm going to ignore coffee. Uh, I haven't seen the drop in my my flat white that I have every my my bought out flat white. It's actually 
not flat white, long black. It's it's definitely gone up. So I'm not seeing the pass through on the coffee price. Um, but yeah, oil oils are, are are significantly lower this this year so far. I just wanted to show you quickly what it looks like, what the price action looks like to date. You can see it's all been Bitcoin and and, and the cryptos up here. Um, yeah, pretty much. It's kind of self-explanatory. Just wanted to show you something else that uh, I, with the FXT Navigator, I just had a look at a couple of currencies and their rolling volatility. And this one over here, which is you know currently been making, well, it's up in the high quadrant. Let's call it that. Is the the yen, and we're going to talk about the yen a little bit later. Interestingly, the sterling and the euro actually. Uh, are well off their highs in terms of volatility. Just wanted to touch on that. Um, if I, if I, I just wanted to highlight this. This is using the navigator's trend indicator, and when it goes dark green, it's it's a, a strong bullish signal, and when it goes dark red, it's it's a bearish signal. And I just wanted to highlight this because it wasn't until a short while ago. Um, I think it was the 13th. It was on the 13th of the month of January that we got a we got a new sell signal here um, on the yen. Sell meaning that in fact it was it, it's strengthening. When it's going down, it's strengthening against the U.S. dollar. But I think it, the the reason why I'm raising this is because we haven't had one of these in a long time. I go back to. It's probably over here, which is when was that? That's the 20th of January 21. So we haven't had a, in terms of trend following, we haven't had a, a red, uh, like a bearish signal for some time. So I thought I'd, I'd mention that. And I'll just raise one other, two other charts. I just thought while, I'm, while I've got it open here, this is the S&P 500. And you can see that we came up against the 200 day here. Let me just blow this uh, I, before i blow it out a little bit i'll just mention one thing that um is interesting for for those of, of you who are interested in this kind of fibonacci and all that kind of stuff if you look from the rally down uh, let's say the covid rally till the the the, the highs last year um uh, the highs sorry in 2021 um we we pulled back to exactly 50 percent for so there was a 50% retracement from that. Um, you know, Tim, and you know I'm a bearish kind of guy. I could make the argument both ways, yeah, that that this could be setting up, this could be a bullish, you know, flag. I don't know. You could you could make the case for it being a, a setup for, for the markets to continue to go higher. Um I actually am bearish. I've got a, I've got, you can see I've got a, a sell, or I've got something on here, but I, I'm actually holding out that, that this is probably going to be the high and we're going to see some further lows, but I've got to stop. I've got to stop over here. Um, yeah, that's just my view. Gold, uh, I'll just pull gold up because also just to show you on the, on the trend following indicator that a couple of, and did we go, this was, on the 11th, we got a we got a green bully, a strong bullish signal here on gold. So, um, these are worth n noting because you don't get um, you don't get these big reversals. When I say reversals, sorry, I, I mean like strong strong buys and strong sells like this. And I take note of them. Anyway, that's that's kind of my my feelings for the moment. Yeah, there's a nice chart of the S&P 500. That was exactly the uh, the, the channel line I was um, showing, uh, was, I was referring to. But uh, when it, when they become so obvious uh, to everyone, they tend to yeah. work a lot better. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I guess we'll go to our first question, uh, which is, um, how is the Chinese economic growth going? What is decreasing population uh, mean for the rest of the world. Do you want to uh, take that one yeah. first? Point yeah, sure? yeah, I'll, I'll kick off there. So we saw it was either a day ago. We we saw we saw the latest GDP numbers for China, which came out at three percent. Now that's the lowest since 1976, except for the COVID in in the year um, 2020. It was it was 
2%. But, but typically, China economic growth trends at around 8% or it's been trending, it's been coming slightly down um, the last couple of years, but let's say between 6 and 8%. That, that, that's a massive driver for the world economy when you've got such a huge population that's growing at that kind of, at that kind of rate. But now um, things have dropped off significantly and many economists are saying those glory days of 6% growth GDP are over. And we also actually, in the last week, hit quite a auspicious occasion because China is no longer the world's most populous country that's been taken over by India. India's got a lot younger uh, population and, and they're still going to probably go through what China went through, where you had this mass rural peasant population going in, becoming middle class, coming out of the rural into the cities, and that caused major construction in housing and and you know consumption as well. When middle class, when you when you've got this emerging middle class and they start spending, it boosts the, the economy. So you know the feeling is now that with China pulling back in in terms of its its population growth, that this is going to be a bad sign for it with economic growth going forward. And I tend to follow that because demographics is actually, when you're looking at big macro trends, I think demographics are, are, are really good indicators, but they can get it wrong for a few years. When you're talking, we're talking multi-decade kind of forecast. So, so you shouldn't be looking at things on the margin. Having said all of that, and, and then of course, to backdrop the the poor economic numbers in 2022 you've got um you've got COVID in full swing at the moment now and it's the chinese new year starting on the weekend and and you know i've i've seen that the censors are going to do their very best to make sure that everyone enjoys the the chinese new year with a very you know with positive information so you're going to see a lot of of fake news, you're going to see a lot of papering over some pretty bleak stories, I guess, that might find their way out. So, you know, I'm sure we've all heard the numbers that they anticipate in something like 30 odd thousand people dying a day um, with this current wave that's that's out in, 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 the, in China. So I anticipate still that COVID and the high rate of infection, the high death rates, and all you can't hide a story from the, the family. You know, you can maybe hide it in the media, but when you're talking those kind of numbers and the viral um, coefficient in terms of the way people talk with um, with media, like if you can WhatsApp, if you or even WeChat, if you can send a message to your friend, if somebody's lost a loved one, it's going to spread. Um, so I don't think you'll be able to keep that um, negativity completely out of the out of the picture so what i'm painting is a, is a pretty bleak picture for the the world well for the chinese economy this year as well and and that will obviously impact globally however having said all of that negativity you've got a premier um apparently the second or third most important guy in china who spoke at davos yesterday and he came out guns blazing saying you know we back uh, the economy's open. We are going to go back to trend growth. Um, the, the the government is going to support. We friendly. We want to trade with everyone. So everyone we were fighting with in the last few years, we now want to we want to play with you and we want to trade with you and make money together and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, if you if you take that at its face value, uh, it's pretty bullish. And you know that will also spill over to the world economy. And yes, so I, that's why. I, I really, um, I know we don't have a slot on it uh, per se right now, but but I'll just mention it. The same story with inflation. We we've got inflation pulling back. We've had very high inflation, and of course the central banks had to get on top of it, and they went hard and they put the brakes, and you know had four very sharp rises, seventy five basis points each time, and and then. I think we got 50 last, I, I can't remember now, I've gone, I've gone blank. But um, be that as it may, you've 
you've got inflation now coming down. So the bulls are saying, okay, the the Fed can take its foot off the brake and it can start easing a bit, or at least not tight, stop tightening it can, and and that's going to be bullish for for the markets because you know. Low, if if interest rates are starting to come down, then it's very stimulatory and all that kind of stuff. So, it's I I'm normally quite um, I'm quite a conviction type of trader, but I'm actually very much in the camp where I don't know right now. Um, I, I certainly think I just will end with this: inflation is coming down, and it's coming down at a reasonable knot a rate of knots. So. But do not make the mistake. It's still well above where the the target is two percent. So we're coming down to six percent, um, and maybe we'll go down to five percent in a month or two. But that's a way. That's that's a lot higher than 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 two percent. And Bullard from the St. Louis um, Fed spoke a couple of hours ago. He's still in favour of a fifty basis points. So we we should be careful to get. No one should run ahead with anything at this stage. I think the jury's out. There's my that's my take on things. I was going to say, Mike. I, I was reading a tweet this morning that just said there's a time to be long, a time to be short, and a time to go fishing. And sometimes uh, when markets are, uh, are like this, you sometimes feel like that. That's not terrible yeah. uh, advice. Um, yeah. Look, I don't have really much to add on the China story. Story. I was just going to say for the younger listeners. Um, just, you know, the, the Chinese had this one China policy for, for several decades. And um, look, you know, they're, they're, they're essentially um, going to a similar situation as Japan, where you just get a lot of older people, um, way outnumbering the younger people. And look, and, and it tends to be negative for asset prices, just because old people tend not to be spending. They just look, if anything, they are withdrawing savings from the market. That means more selling than buying. And, um, but look, what you said about these things take play out over, you know, years, not, not weeks or months. So it's, it's just like a, it'll be a story you'll probably hear, you'll keep reading about, you know, in the next five, 10 years. Um, so, uh, but look, yeah, happy new, happy Chinese new, new year to all our uh, Chinese viewers. Um, I know we've got a few based off some of the questions, um, and uh, yeah, look, I, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of celebrating and eating as uh, uh, going on. We'll, we'll move on to our next question, and uh, look, that one is, uh, what does the debt ceiling mean, and how does that impact? Um, look, I guess I'll just uh, start if you don't mind, Michael. Sure. Um, so look. Uh, the debt ceiling. So, look, just a couple of weeks ago, you know, the, um, the Biden administration, they just signed a $1.7 trillion spending bill. Um, you know, obviously, how do they pay for this? A lot of it's funded by debt. Now, it always sounds scary, these debt ceilings and how the, things are going to, you know, ground to a halt. But um, just a bit of background, since 1960, they've raised this debt ceiling about 100 times, I think. So, um, you know, um, it does seem like most of the time it's just theatre. We don't tend to worry about it until, you know, things really start to, to, to change. But look, they're now at, I think, $31.8 trillion or $38 trillion. Um, obviously, it's gone up in the last couple of years. Um, we had Yellen come out the other day that, you know, the US would need to take extraordinary measures to prevent the US from defaulting on its obligations. But at the end of the day, the US have a printing press. They can print whatever they want. Uh, they've always been able to do that. The, the risk of default is basically zero. Uh, what could happen, though, is that you could get, um, you know, the US being downgraded by one of these rating agencies. But uh, uh, we, we've seen in the past that uh, there's a lot of political pressure on these things not to do that. So uh, I think it, it'll just be like, you know, the previous debt ceiling uh, things. It's just going to blow over. They'll raise the debts as they always do. Um, and look, I think the only thing that these debt ceiling conversations do is they just give uh, Congress a chance to, you know, push a, push a trigger, a global, you know, financial crisis button and get everyone rattled for a few weeks and until, until it passes. So mm. um, what are your views? Yeah, so I pretty much like, what you were just saying also just to say to people you know if governments buy things they they give benefits 
and, and the way they pay for it is with with re, uh, with tax receipts. So when there's when there's a shortfall, when they're spending more than they're earning, they need to go borrow that money. It's a deficit, so they've got to go borrow it. And the idea of the debt ceiling was basically put in over a hundred years ago, just to kind of put a lid or or make government more accountable. Now most countries operate without a debt ceiling, and so it's perfectly normal for a country to operate without one. However, it's there as a checks and balance, and it's it's theatre, it's political theatre, but it can definitely have consequences because what happens is is it depends who's controlling the House and the Senate and all this kind of stuff, and no one no one wants the US to go into default, and if it does, there will be financial Armageddon, and basically depending on who's playing the political games, they can use this as, let's say, as a tool to extract some political muscle or political benefits. And, and yeah, so it's, decisions could be made in the, the raising of the debt ceiling that could have major economic consequences. And uh, so it's worth, it's, it's, certain, it's certainly worth being close to this, um, the, the story. But I'd, I have to share with you because there's a, Tell me if you can see it. Tim. You know, you so, um, you were out by four hundred odd million, so billion. So just so, can you see this this U.S. national debt clock? Um, uh, actually, can't see anything at the moment. Doesn't come um, up. Let me just see what have I done wrong. If you give me one second. Um, entire. I've, I've I've seen these debt clocks. They're very scary. The numbers are going up fast and uh, continuous. So, <laughs> Here we go. I can see it now. Okay, so the by the way, we 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 hit the level because it, it was thirty one point four trillion is the is the number is the debt ceiling limit, and they said it would happen on Thursday, and today's Thursday, so we've clocked um, yesterday. It was below below that, and and it's it's crossed over here. So don't worry, there's a lot of uh, the, the, this is nothing. This this is pretty scary stuff. But I I did think I'll show you this. Which is also, I mean, this is a free website. It's worth taking a look at. You can you can see. It's often better to look at the percentage. What is the percentage of national debt to GDP? So ninety four, ninety four percent. That's interesting. Public debt. It says ninety four percent. I'm not sure how that can if if GDP is twenty five, and that's that that's over. Um, so something something doesn't add up in my my numbers there. But anyway, you can see the the next biggest one is is China, and I guess something to consider for when we talk about the. I'll, I'll end on this when we're talking about the the yen and the the Japanese central bank is take a look at their um, debt to GDP two hundred ninety six percent government debt, and I think we're going to talk about something about that shortly so that's just something i thought i'd share with you guys yeah and look i guess um the, the one point we probably should mention i mean this is the i guess the uh, the bearish case for markets obviously you know us has got a huge debt problem i think it was back in the 2000s when they essentially i think about 70 percent of the debt debt is um it's, it's like a duration of three years or less. So what that means is every year they're essentially having to roll the debt. Now, last year, I think the debt, um, the interest rates were around 1.5%, 1.6%, right? And they were using 15% of their tax receipts to pay off the coupon. Now, what's happened this year, or sorry, I should say last year, is that interest rates were getting up. This is a short-term stuff, getting up to sort of, you know, 4.5%, threat, threatening 5%. Now, at that level, the US would then be using 50% of their tax receipts or above uh, to pay off their debt. Now, uh, and that um, debt, look, that's like $1.5 trillion. I think that's sort of nearly twice of what they pay for the US military. And look, if you want to talk about the US default, it's not the fact that they can't print the money. It's the fact that uh, the world would lose... Um, lose confidence in their ability to repay. And you could get a situation where um, if the US, they need to get these rates down, they could use yield curve control. And I think, you know, it's, I think 40% of the, um, uh, the 
the lending of this money is, is done from people overseas. Now, they would pull their money out of the US. You'd see the US dollar drop sharply. You know, they'd get inflation just because the US dollar's losing its purchasing power. And this, when we talk about the US, I guess, defaulting, we're talking about a, uh, they're basically losing their reserve currency status. And I mean, this is something that could play out over this decade. I think they're definitely, it's a risk. I think this is one of the reasons why gold's been getting a bit of a bid recently. Uh, yep. I think was, um, and plus you've got now, you've got China, uh, well, certainly Russia uh, getting off the, the um US dollar system, China's talking about it. We had the Saudis yesterday saying they're going to sell um, their oil in non-US dollars. This is a big change. So certainly this is something that's um, happening in the market. And look, you know, don't underestimate how big a shift if that if this did happen. And, and it's probably going to play out, you know. So they have to be really careful with, um, you know, playing around with this debt thing. It's, it's a, we say... You know, all debts get repaid, if not by the uh, borrower, then by the lender. So, uh, yeah, yeah, something to watch. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, that was just a bit of a side note. I'll, I'll keep going. Uh, last question we've got the uh, all eyes are on Japan Central Bank. Will um, Japan continue to defend its yield curve targets? Um, I guess I'll just start quickly, Michael. So, yeah, look, yesterday we. Um, we had Corona basically come out and say that they were going to continue their yield curve control. Uh, this was a bit under, unexpected by the market because the, um, I guess the, the eight-year and nine-year rates had been pushing above the half a percent band. Uh, they've been spending an absolute fortune defending the peg. Now, when I say that, just in January, they spent over a hundred billion US dollar equivalent in yen to depend, defend this peg. Um, they are really, there's a lot of pressure for this to rise. I think inflation's now over 3%. The, the, the Japanese have always said they wanted full employment. They wanted to get in some inflation. Now they've got it. Uh, well, you know, there's a, I guess, credible, credible argument to let their rates rise. Now, uh, one change that is going to happen is Kuroda's stepping down, I think, April 8th, if I'm right. Um, he will be replaced. I'm not sure who the new governor's going to be, but... If there's going to be a change in policy, it's probably likely to coincide with uh, the new governor. Uh, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch. Uh, as you showed on your last debt clock, you know, the J Japanese, they've got a 298% debt to GDG levels. Um, it's un unbelievable. I mean, they literally cannot let their, uh, their, their rates go up because they just can't afford it. So, um, I mean, this could be, uh, you know, we could... If, if they do let these rates rise, I mean, we could see them, uh, you know, in, into a debt jubilee where they essentially just come out and cancel their debt. I mean, but, uh, it's pretty amazing. But uh, uh, yeah. I might just throw it over to you. To give you, you yeah, give you, uh, I mean, the, these it, it, Japan is actually just their experiment with quantitative easing is is so much bigger than the US. Like where everyone talks and you have the FOMC watches and all this kind of stuff, but it's I'm still trying to get my head around the fact that you have a um, a central bank that is so in interventionist and and is prepared to borrow so much money to defend um, interest rates. So uh, I just saw a couple of things that I, that. So a couple of comments I just wanted to make. So the traders all suspected that they wouldn't defend. So the, the rate they, they came, let me just go back for viewers' benefit. I think the peg on the 10-year ten year bond was 20 basis points a couple of months ago. And they couldn't defend it anymore. And they let it go to 40 basis points. So that was a big thing in the marketplace. And it was like the first time it seemed like the central bank was buckling. And basically, there have been no other buyers at 40 basis points. So the Bank of Japan has been doing all the buying. They are, I think they are almost 100% of the, the buyers in the marketplace and trying to keep it at 40 basis points, yet it was it was going up. It was going up. And so everyone was selling to it and and... They were buying, and the 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 market sentiment was that yesterday, when the Bank of Japan spoke, 
they would they would say that they're no longer going to defend 40 basis points. That was what everyone anticipated. And totally against expectation, they said they're going to defend it. Like, so they didn't blink. And the market, the yen just went straight up um, on that news and went up about 2.5-3%, somewhere around there. And over the course of the next, I'd say, 12 to 18 hours, it almost completely reversed. So it was a volatile day trading the yen yesterday. And and what you just said to me, when you, you kind of spoke about, they cannot afford to let this, more than close to 300% of their GDP is, is government debt. So to service that at a higher at a higher rate will kill that economy. Absolutely, completely smash it. But what is interesting is that um, did you, what's his name? Could uh, Kuroda said that um, inflation, even though it has been trending up, it's he, he says it's not where it needs to be. So I wonder if the feeling is that yeah, we've got you know supply constraints and all that gave the little bit of an injection, and there's been a little bit of wage wage inflation coming through. But the the concern is that it's still transitory. And yeah, and, and look, this is this is, I guess, the definition of financial repression. I mean, they you, you get rates, uh, sorry, CPR inflation, say at three or four percent. You keep rates at you know half a percent, and you know basically people are losing you know two and a half, three percent purchase paying power a year, and you slowly inflate this debt away. And I mean, maybe this is the, what they're going for. So. Uh, and look, there have been times in the past where inflation started to rise. They've probably seen all the other inflation drivers coming off. Maybe they're worried they need to, uh, you know, try and keep it sparking for longer until it, unless they risk, you know, coming back down. I mean, they've been uh, having this deflationary problem for years. And look, and this is probably one of the um, things about their demographic picture. You know, just a lot of old people, I think we've mentioned on the show before, mm. I think in 2014, they were selling more adult diapers than they were baby diapers. An incredible statistic just showing you how skewed it is to the uh, the older generation. Something to look forward to, Tim. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> not something I'm looking forward to. Um, but just on that, to turn that into a trade and probably, uh, you know, this is the widow maker, I guess, is that you would have to think that if they're going to continue all this intervention and, yeah, try and inflate things inflate their debt away it's got to be that the yen continues to weaken long term um and it's just such a hard trade to to put on but um yeah i i would like to have one in my bottom drawer basically take a bet on 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 the yen um weakening that's... Yeah, well, I, I guess, I mean, two things that look, I mean, so the, the, the pair is expressed as the US dollar yen. So it's been dropping. Well, last year, it was like 110. It got up to sort of 150. And now it's sort of back to, well, what are we, 128 and a half now. Yeah. Um, and, and as that pair drops, that's actually the US dollar getting weaker against the yen. So the yen's been strengthening now. I guess counterintuitively, they keep printing money and holding rates um, down. You'd think the the yen would be getting weak, or the dollar yen would be getting stronger. Now, um, it is is it is strange. I think the market is expecting eventually they're going to let go and let these rates rise, and hence that's why this uh, pair continues to fall uh, recently. But uh, um, certainly been volatile in the last few trading sessions. So uh, yeah, yeah. Are, are we going to slot something in quickly on on crypto before we we got to say uh, yes. Why not? I mean, I guess uh, you've probably seen the news that uh, Gemini is just about to file for uh, bankruptcy. Ge- Genesis. 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 Sorry, but but we, which in turn will probably make Gemini um, do the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> will probably yeah that 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 will be another one bites the dust and uh, yeah. I, I I just had a conversation last night with somebody in London who's quite a big player in the crypto space, and they've got a few hundred million uh, assets under management in crypto. And he was just saying, "What a nightmare it's been." He no. said, "There's no." He says, "You just don't know who you can trust." And he mentioned a few names that I hadn't heard of that you know counterparties that have gone gone to the 
to the wire and yeah very scary but it doesn't it hasn't stopped the bitcoin and other um coins rally that's for sure but but tim one one thing i mean it's it's slightly off the markets but one thing it's crypto related that just blows my mind all the time is this clown spf has got a, uh, a, a newsletter uh, stack overflow i don't know if you've read no. his latest one i read it yesterday i mean the guy his lawyers must want to murder the guy um because he just shoots his mouth off he put he penned a very very lengthy um story trying to you know say how he's a good guy and and all this kind of stuff but he, the one thing that i did take note of is that even that at one stage last year alameda's balance sheet was a hundred billion dollars okay i mean it was propped up with fake coins um shit coins ftt um, um serum all those kind of things but but a hundred billion is a big number yeah that's right and then look if you're uh, you've got a hundred billion and you get a three percent cent swing in your portfolio which is like an average day on uh, on crypto then that's uh three you know billion dollars uh, so it's pretty easy to see how they lost 10 billion you know um yeah. I, I was going to just add that uh yeah i also saw last night the u.s justice department um said yesterday they're going to announce a global cryptocurrency enforcement action uh so look still plenty of uh I guess woes for the space. Although we did last week just point out uh, the bullish setups for uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, which uh, played out pretty well. So um, uh, maybe the, the space is coming back. Just one: um, the the navigator, FXT navigator, doesn't give overbought, oversold signals on the daily often. And funny, yesterday it came out with a, an overbought on Bitcoin. So. Uh, I'll just slip that in. We can talk about it next week to see if it was turned out to be a good signal. But um, it's looking for a little bit of a pullback. Oh, great. Well, I guess that uh, we should wrap it up there, Michael. Okay. So uh, as we say to our viewers, if you've got any questions, uh, throw them in the comments below. Uh, or if you have what you do, like, don't like, or uh, anything you want discussed. Um, and uh, we will see you next week. So you've had myself, Tim Muirhead, and Michael Berman, from, who's the uh, CEO of fxt thanks michael for your time thanks tim thank you good luck in the markets cheers everybody hi everyone welcome to another episode of trading insights with fxt where we learn not only about the markets but we also speak to market participants this is only the second time we've actually spoken to people in the industry and um, today is the 19th of january 2022 in case this podcast series long in the tooth that people wonder what year it was in and i'm it's 5 30 anytime and i'm joined by jeff hancock who's the ceo of CoinPass, a uk-based crypto exchange so jeff i haven't even asked you where am i speaking to you right this moment where about are you uh just outside of london in surrey in the uk uh, so okay. i used to be okay. I, used to be central london sure. but i yeah, used to be central London, but I moved out to some uh, greener and uh, quieter pastures. That's why there's no traffic in the background right now. Oh, fantastic. I'm sure with COVID, uh, a lot of people, like in Australia, moved out into the suburbs and all that. So, Jeff, I, I believe you you grew up as an Aussie and you landed up in London. I'm not so sure how long ago that was, but maybe you want to just talk us through your journey, how you get to London and and then we'll, I guess, dive into some of the things crypto-related. Yeah, sure. I mean, I've, uh, I grew up in Australia on a farm uh, on the Gold Coast, of all places. Oh. Um, worked at a hotel and casino on the Gold Coast uh, for five years um, in cybersecurity and infrastructure. So I was always a tech guy and an engineer. And then after uh, a few opportunities came my way, uh, I moved to the UK on a, on a working visa to do it originally for a long holiday to do a, a long-distance driving rally. Uh, myself and my now co-founder uh, drove a very unsuitable car at a very unsuitable distance from London to Mongolia in four weeks. Wow! And we got all the, we got all the way to the end, and we're like, "What? What? What? What do we do now?" We hadn't actually planned to make it that far, so that was kind of how we how we started. And then it was just easier to go back to the UK and uh, and try it out for a few for a few months. Um, if you don't mind uh, me asking, sorry to interrupt you there. What, what kind of car do you drive from? 
London to Mongolia. Um, uh, it was a 1.2 litre Fiat Bravo that we bought on the internet, completely unseen. And we convinced a friend <laughs> of ours to go and pick it up from us. It's only like this far outside of London, but driving in the UK is nothing like Australia. It was like a six hour return trip for her. Wow. Okay. That must have been quite um, the adventure. Where did, did, did you sleep? You didn't, a Fiat sounds like a small car. I'm not really much of a. Well, it's bigger than a lot of other people's cars. I mean, it's still a very small car. I mean, it has four doors, which is fine. You probably, it probably the same size as like a Ford Laser or something okay. like that, um, with a little bit more boot space in the back. So it's still a hatchback, but a four door hatchback. Mm-hmm. Uh, very slow, um, but you know, we got it. We got it there in the end. So it was uh, yeah, a worthy trip, and it was to raise money for charity. So yeah, we raised uh, a few thousand pounds for the Christina Noble Children's Trust, which was good fun. Uh, came back to London, continued my tech work. Um, got onto a longer term working visa, so I stayed here for about five, six years to get my um, to get onto my full my full um, immigration status. Uh, and then since then, I've opened up several businesses in property and consulting and now crypto. So, I mean, you're a, you grew up as a farm boy, and you suddenly hit the big. Uh, you didn't you didn't go from like small to you went full on. Uh, yeah, no, I've, I've never worked in Brisbane. I've never worked in Sydney. It was always the Gold Coast, Broad Beach, Service Paradise. And then from there yeah. to London was like, yeah, it was a big, a big change. And, and I, I guess a question, it sounds like you've got a bit of an entrepreneurial flair to yourself. Where did that come from? Your, your parents, your grandfamily, um, any... Yeah, I think definitely my grandparents and my and 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 my and my parents as well. Um, my my grandfather was always an investor. Um, he owned a series of butcher shops um, up until his uh, when he passed away when he was ninety six, ninety seven. Still had wow. full head of hair, so we got good good hair genes in our family. Uh, he was I'm still. No, I'm um, noticing. I'm noticing all that. <laughs> it's, it's been it's been held down strategically by the headphones uh, up until his up until his death with his poor eyesight. He was still paper trading out of the uh, wow. out of the broadsheet newspaper every single day. So he'd have his notepad yeah. out, he'd have his, his big sheet out and he'd literally write it all out by hand. So it's quite, quite amazing. Um, and uh, when he, when he passed away, you know, you'll have a, you'll have a small inheritance obviously, but whatever you do, don't go and buy a house and sit on it, go and make something of it, make something of yourself. And that's always mm-hmm. kind of stuck with me. So I've always, you know, invested capital into either my own businesses or into my, we've got tax efficient um, investment platforms over here in the UK called an ISA. Um, there's no capital gains as long as you invest under 20k a year and um i've i have this um uh what is it horrible paranoia of capital sitting around not earning something for me mm-hmm. so i've always been driven to either start my own business invest into property invest into stocks and shares and eventually that led me over to crypto because i kind of really got the tech side of it very very easily very very quickly um how long ago was that that you got bitten by the the crypto bug um, well, technically it was 2014, um, yeah, but I was really. at a different stage of my life back then. I was actually a massive introvert. I would never have done anything like this. And uh, we had a, a very a very bullish CEO that was um, always selling tech before we actually knew how to build it. So I learned how to yeah. do a lot of IP security, a lot of email, a lot of uh, voice over IP systems. And one yes. of our clients came to us and said, we've been hacked. They're asking for Bitcoin. We don't know what it is. So I had to learn what Bitcoin was over a weekend. Um, we set up a wallet, paid the ransom, sent some money overseas, got some what I thought were just numbers on a screen because I was yes. an engineer, uh, paid the ransom and then turned off the virtual machine and completely forgot about it. Fast forward about four years where I'm um, about to leave that business and go and work on my own consultancy for uh, quite a large hedge fund in Mayfair, mm-hmm. um, one called SoftBank, the Vision Fund, mm-hmm. uh, that 100 billion pound fund that started yeah. up. I was, their fifth em- I was their fifth employee in London, so wow. I was there right at the beginning. And um, this whole Bitcoin thing started to get more popular. I started you know, putting some money here and there, and I had some available capital to invest. And I always went back and wonder, what happened to that virtual machine? And mm. over those four years, it went from our backup storage to our slow storage to a tape. And I think it was overwritten about three months before I'd actually came up with the idea to look at it again. But then I decided to really pull the Band-Aid off and rub a lot of salt and alcohol and kerosene in the wound when I found the email trail of what we actually exchanged, what we actually sent. We actually paid for this ransom during a massive, massive downtrend, and we had something like 70 Bitcoin left over as change. Yeah, it was insane. So I could probably still find that wallet on the the top 1,000 list if you ask me. Uh, just as a complete aside, I'll just tell you my brief um, my brief intro into the Bitcoin world 
was I was I can't remember exactly. I think it was 2013. To be honest with you, whenever it was it was around the time when Bitcoin was a hundred bucks. So I can't yep. remember exactly the, the exact. But I remember in in Sydney, I I read the white paper and I was hooked, and and I said I've got to get me some of this stuff and. That I, I literally went and um, gave a guy an envelope. I, I had to do all yep. this on the, li- the on street line. deals. Yeah, the street they, deals. To get, to enough, they, still, they still happen. They still happen in London as well. It's insane. I've never done one, but I've heard of people where they go to a Starbucks, they sit across from each other at a laptop. Uh, sometimes it's bank wires, sometimes it's physical cash or gift cards is really popular as well. Yes. But it still happens. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, well. so I, I I got in at a hundred. There thereabouts. And wow. I remember writing a blog post when it when it went to a thousand bucks. I was like over the moon. I said the trade of my decade. Um, and I went and then was the how to cash it in. And at that time, mm. you could buy a little. You could buy electronics. And oh right, story, the payments and my, stuff. Yeah, yeah. My story is not like the guy who spent however many Bitcoin on pizza. But what I did is I bought a I bought an iPad. And we still got it, and it because I had it engraved, and and I, I oh joke, yeah, you definitely engraved it and frame it for sure, yeah. yeah. I, I I joke with my kids that it's the most expensive iPad I know. It was I paid five Bitcoin for this thing, and five wow. Bitcoin, I was going to say it was one Bitcoin. But wow, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was an expensive, an expensive purchase. But anyway, so. I, no, it's just, great. I, think those, I think those stories are great. I mean, it, get, it lets us reflect a bit on, you know, investment opportunities we made when we were on, you know, there wasn't even the bleeding edge back then. That was just, it was just this niche little, you know, yeah. cyberpunk way to uh, to move magic internet wizard money around and no one really got what it was. And it was, it was such a... It was such a cultural movement back then, and that cultural movement is kind of still around now. But it's just, yeah. it's kind of just on Twitter and a bit more toxic. It's gone away from that real cryptography, cyberpunk kind of era, yeah. um, which is fine. It's an evolving market, but as soon as you know regulation gets involved, that brings legitimacy to the space, and ultimately, yeah. that's what we all want. So, if if you can take me to the point that what what was the catalyst? How did CoinPass come come to pass? Uh, me opening my big mouth is probably the the, yeah. the the baseline statement. Um, like I said, I was working at SoftBank. I was doing cybersecurity engineering. I had my property business. I had my consulting business. I was investing in a few different things. Uh, we have this rule in the UK where um, if you're a, a sole contractor, IT mm-hmm. an IT an IT consultant, and you could freelance to one company, uh, you're, you could still be seen as employee. So that consultancy yeah. business should have multiple streams of income. So yeah. I used to do, uh, I used to make a lot of content actually um, around, um, you know, what security around how to use exchanges, how to exchange safely, how to protect the keys, how to all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff that I found very easy. And they used to pay me a hundred bucks a month. So I had, yeah. you know, multiple clients. I had one really, really big one and a, a couple small ones, but it was still <laughs> legit. So it's fine. And, um, after seeing a lot of this, a few of my friends started asking me, oh, I didn't know you were involved in this. I thought you were doing tech and blah, 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 blah. And I was giving them kind of tips and advice to go, can you buy it for me? And I went, no, that's called money laundering. You can't do that. <laughs> but I can teach you how to do it yourself. And then when two of my now co-founders came along with me, um, said, yeah, we want to take a very large position in Bitcoin. You know, this is, I think, I think it was about a thousand pounds at the time or maybe 1200 pounds. And they wanted to do like a 20K investment. And I went, okay what's the problem? You know, we want to do the investment without any FX exposure. So we don't want to do it in US dollars. We don't want to do it in Euro. And I'm like, well, you may as well, because for that kind of size, there isn't any UK based retail platform that can handle that kind of load. You're Mm -hmm. going to get slipped on the price. You're going to get slipped on the FX exposure. You may as well just send it, you know, swap it to euros and send it to Coinbase. That was my advice in like Mm -hmm. uh, early 2017. And I go, why, why not? Why is that? Why is it like that? I went, that's a good question. Let's start our own one. Mm-hmm. And it literally happened as, as quickly as that. It's out of frame now, but there's actually a white a white picture frame in the background. Uh, yeah. And that's still the original schematic drawing of uh, two lines, business plan, drawing of how the infrastructure work and the financial model at the bottom on like an yeah. A5 bit of paper at the pub uh, from like February 2017. So we kind of worked and dabbled with the idea for a while. We formatted, formatted the company and um, incorporated the company in 2018. Uh, while I was still at SoftBank, um, I got myself on the compliance blacklist for starting a company without permission. 
and then uh, we went live in in September of 2018 with uh, okay. you know, four staff and, and two founders. So it was um, at the bottom of the bear market. I think Bitcoin is about three thousand dollars, and everyone said, "Are you nuts?" And the plan was to sell one Bitcoin to one individual person. And we did that on day two. And we're like, uh, what do we do now? Um, so we basically started to future-proof the business before it was even required to be. We thought, well, yeah. we're an on-ramp. We work with banking. We're connecting the, I usually say legacy banking system. It's not legacy, yeah. existing banking system. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Existing banking system into the crypto world. And we're trying to do it for both retail and corporate users. We you cannot regulate the crypto space on a blockchain level. You just can't. Mm-hmm. The, the, the inherent nature of how data can flow cross-border in milliseconds, you can't regulate it effectively. So it's going to be businesses like us, on-ramps, off-ramps, exchanges, that are going to have to bear the brunt of that regulation. So let's pretend like we're regulated right now in 2018, where the FCA didn't know the difference between the word crypto, blockchain, and Bitcoin. They thought it was yeah. all the same thing. And um, come 2020, Regulation comes in. We're one of the first in the UK to apply for it. Took about 18, 19 months. Uh, I think we're the third third exchange in the UK, uh, probably the largest of our size to get that um, to get that license. And to this day, there's still only about 33, 34 companies um, that actually have that license. So it's still a very you know, crucial and pinnacle point of our business. Yeah. So I, I'm assuming that's your main point of difference. Um, you are a regulated. Um, crypto exchange in the UK. Is, is correct, that a fair, yeah. A fair yeah, correct. Yeah. And it's not the easiest one to get. A lot of our competitors don't have that license. A lot of people have yeah. pulled out of the UK um, for various different reasons. Um, yes. It was a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but also we weren't a very simple, small business. You know, a, a few guys that I think one or two companies gone before us, they were only doing Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum had three mm-hmm. tokens and a very small team. We had you know, 17 tokens and stable coins at the time of our application. Um, oh, okay, so you we had you, to, yeah. we, we were, we were, we were pr- pretty, pretty far forward in that kind of bit. And we were talking mm-hmm. about doing earning and staking that kind of stuff back in, in, in 2021. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later as well, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it wasn't an easy application. And I mm-hmm. think part of that was definitely the talent they have at the FCA. They're just completely underfunded. There's a yeah. job role for a senior case officer in central London right now, and it's forty thousand pounds a year, which would be about seventy thousand Aussie. That's not a competitive regulated case officer strategy, uh, case officer um, salary. So yeah. they're just struggling for really, really good talent. Because I'll definitely take that person and put them on our compliance team instead, and they'd probably rather work for an exchange than the FCA. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Jeff, I mean, in terms of how you grow your business, um, where what is a what is a typical what's the demographic of your your exchange like and yeah. and and I'm interested to know like which is it which coins are the 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 most popular Let, let's start with your demographic and then we can yeah get into so uh, our demographic has definitely changed as the market has evolved and we've yeah. seen this through our data um, originally it was like we'll sell Bitcoin to anyone. And they were like, no, you've got to market to someone. Let's target people that actually have investable capital. So we're like, well, mm-hmm. people that are 18, 19, they're going to dabble a little bit, very small ticket items. You know, you can't build um, a scalable business on on people that have 10, 20 pounds. So we were targeting people in kind of the, the mid, mid-20s to late 30s, you know, yes. kind of where a few that we were because I was putting, you know, 1,000 pounds a month into my ISO. I was dabbling here and trading there, et cetera. So we're like, cool. 25 to 35, 40, that, that seems reasonable. So we'll start there from something. And then what we found, because we were local UK-based, because we had local UK banking, because our fees were competitive, because we had really top-notch support, but also people could research us. People could find the company on Company's House. We weren't based on mm-hmm. in the Caymans or over in Lithuania. Yeah. So people could look at us. Oh, here are three people who are real people. Are they on yeah. LinkedIn? Oh, they're on LinkedIn as well. They're actually real people that have a presence. Yeah. And so we started to attract I don't want to say a sophisticated investor, but someone that's not just going to dump a thousand pounds in the middle of nowhere, not knowing what they're doing. So they had a, a little bit more mindset to them. And then what started happening is that upper range started to expand quite a lot. So we had people in their kind of fifties and sixties investing as well. And then they're also their art skill. Like, well, can I use my limited company funds so I don't have to take a tax hit? 
to invest in crypto? And we're like, yeah, sure, that's just extra compliance. So we started doing limited company accounts. And that's probably been the biggest part of our business is uh, offering accounts to corporate companies. Okay. We've expanded that now. We have we have law firms that are taking crypto payments. We have uh, a couple of dentists. We have a bunch of accountancies. We have some pension providers, uh, a couple of data analytics companies. Um, and we're also talking with two major um, London-based uh, property firms now that want to start listing okay. their London-based properties in crypto. So yeah. Yeah. the retail side, we still take care of, but it's definitely that kind of corporate side that started to lift us off because of our AR licensing and mm-hmm. the transparency they could find with researching us when they do their due diligence. And on your exchange, do you trade spot or do you do derivative? Um, Only spot. You can't do derivatives. Yeah, they banned crypto derivatives are banned in the UK in 2020, I think it was, 2021. I can't remember. Um, But yeah, they banned crypto derivatives. They say crypto's got no value. You shouldn't have leverage on top of it, blah, 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 blah. Um, And that's a fine view to have. I think there's more than enough money to be made on spot. Some people, you know, even a small amount of leverage, 2, 3x is fine. I don't agree with the YOLO 100x kind of stuff. I think that's just completely dangerous. But it also wiped out quite a lot of really cool products that were in the space at the time. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, in the UK, our pension is called a SIP um, mm-hmm. and you have your SIP through a, a platform provider like Hargreave Lansdowne or um, Scottish Widows or something like that. And there were two products on there that were one-to-one, no leverage. Uh, they were ETPs and ETNs, so exchange traded notes and exchange traded mm-hmm. products. Uh, they were warehoused in a with a, with a customer provider out of Switzerland. Uh, offered by CoinShares, they were called XBT Bitcoin and XBT Ethereum. And those lots were split up into 10 contracts for one Bitcoin. So every contract would be 0.1 of the Bitcoin or 0.1 of the mm-hmm. Ethereum just to get the price. So the price would probably fit in the UI maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, now, they were quite expensive to buy. You're talking like 2.5%. Um, buy it in euros or krona, no, Swedish krona. But you could literally get Bitcoin in your pension. Your pension doesn't attract any capital gains. So they were, mm-hmm. they were beautiful. I had a very small pension because I only lived here for eight, nine years at the time. Uh, and I was working with these Facebook groups and I was, oh, here's this product. You can get crypto into your pension and blah, blah, blah. And I must have YOLO traded the crap out of that thing and forexed my pension in a month, which you shouldn't do. It's not a financial advice. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do it, Jeff. But then when we had this big dip, I exited those positions to go and, like it says in the hoodie, buy the dip. Uh, and then the regulation came into ban derivatives and I, I'm still not in those positions. I would have had the equivalent of about five and a half, six and a half Bitcoin at 10,000 pounds. So it's that nausea, $18,000. Yeah. And I'd still yeah. have those positions, but I can't reopen them. So that was yeah. one of those, another missed opportunities to have a, an acquisition of Bitcoin in my pension fund. Anyway, <laughs> so, so when they yeah. removed derivatives, that, yeah. that really hit, that really hit the UK industry hard, not from a, a degen trader point of view, but there were some yeah. really, really innovative products that, were derivatives, but they weren't leveraged, which is a shame. So let me ask you, in terms of, because I mean, you're a crypto guy, so I'm, I'm going to start with, I'm going to break it down into two. This my question into two parts. The one is, I'm going to ask you, what, what's your favorite coin? Let me ask. Let me start there, actually. Uh, well, I think by default, I'm going to say Bitcoin because it's the OG, it's the original. Everyone's trying to copy it. It's got the highest amount of uptime. And, yes. you know, I don't like referencing UK, uh, sorry, US um, finance guys and politician guys at, at all. Um, but during the Voyager, Voyager problem, Celsius, FTX, and now the stuff we're about to see uh, yes. with another lender, the Bitcoin network has not gone down. Yes. It has stayed up. Transactions are flowing. The mempool's cleared. It keeps readjusting itself with hash rate. It's, it's a piece of, you know, technical perfection. Yes. Uh, and it only keeps getting better. So I'd have to say Bitcoin's my favorite uh, yes. with Ethereum in a close second because I like some of the DeFi stuff as well. Okay. Um, and tell me in terms of like your go-to for info. Okay, let me, <laughs> I think we all got our guys that we, let's say our gurus that we um, follow. Is there anyone in particular that sticks out in your mind that is like your go-to guy who gives you your your daily dose of good intel uh, that's a really interesting question so i'm i'm i won't say anti-influencer but influencers are influencers for a reason um in terms of personalities and stuff like that i mean i do like you know uh 
what's his name? Uh, Dan Held's pretty funny on Twitter. I do follow Dan on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just these little one-liners about Bitcoin every day. He's pretty cool. Uh, in terms of scams, i got to give it to CoffeeZilla. He's the absolute man. Um, yes, yeah. The he's, stuff that he uncovers is, is brilliant. His production quality is very, very high as well. He spends yeah. a lot of money producing that show. Uh, so kind of hats off to him for the work that he does and the way that he tells the story, I think is yeah. very, very important in the space. Um, and then there's another, he's actually a good friend of mine who I've met a few times here in the UK. Um, he's going to Ash Davidson, the crypto mobster who does a lot of crypto education and trading stuff. Uh, and he's a back to basics, really simple kind of guy, really technical analysis stuff, but he's, he's got a good, a good ear on the market. So I suppose those are my go-to guys for kind of crypto content or kind of edging, you know, learning stuff. But apart from that, it's Google, Twitter, newsnow.co.uk there's a crypto section it's got stories refreshing every five minutes um but i'm not a telegram guy i hate telegram so no no to telegram friends don't let friends friends don't let friends do telegram yeah it's it's very (laughs) overwhelming it's it's beyond the wild west i I call twitter the wild west but but yeah i i actually love twitter um can can you believe this uh this clown spf is still writing I don't know if you read on the weekend, or not the weekend, about two days ago, he put out another um, article on Substack that he's, you know, pleading his his ignorance and his innocence and all this kind of stuff. The guy just does not shut up. Was that the, the newsletter with meow, 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 meow? Is it the um, meme one or actually a real one? I thought, no, a real I, one. I might have oh, just one. seen the meme one then. But no, I mean, yeah. how he still has access to a phone, it kind of it kind of boggles the mind a bit. And now they're yeah. trying to protect who who paid his bail. Yeah, that's yeah, just, cor- that, cor- yeah. correct. But in, in, the, in his latest one, he, the, the mind boggles at some... I mean, he's written pages and he, he shows the balance sheet of Alameda, um, which he claimed was at $100 billion Lost yeah, year. that was that was a Google sheet that that leaked on Reddit and everyone had access to. I mean, I mean, I, I will I will admit I I, I trigger link I, I clicked that link, but I did it on a I did it on a secure virtual machine because I mean it's a Google Doc. Who knows? There was nine thousand yeah. people looking at it. It wasn't really a secret, but there was so much junk in there. Yeah. That yeah, yeah okay. This token, this token that no one's ever heard of is trading at X, but there's no way they could unwind any of their positions. It's just not yeah, enough yeah. liquidity. Or, or it's created. But, but yeah, I a guess, lot of artificially created yeah. stuff, exactly. I, I guess it, be, it brings up the question because I, I think what's in the news when, when I woke up, we saw Genesis were preparing for uh, bankruptcy. Um, yes. So, so that's obviously going to have a, a knock-on effect, I guess, with Gemini. And with you know, it's, it's another one in the industry that we've got to digest um, yeah, it won't, it won't just be Gemini. It'll be a lot because a lot of people are using that same uh, lending loan product um, from yeah. from DCG, which is you know it's going to be another one. Of those, it's going to be another unwinding event similar to yeah. Celsius or similar to Voyager. Yeah. Um, I th- I I know of I won't name them. I know of two exchanges in Australia that use Genesis. There's yeah. two more over here in the UK, uh, not the UK in, in Europe. Uh, you've got Luno that's going to have exposure to as well. So, let me yeah. learn Siri. I'm awake. Thank you. Um, there's going to be a lot of people you know, exposed to it. Um, yeah. The same way that it was with Voyager and Celsius. The simple fact is if you don't have your own earned product and doing your own trading to give that leverage and yield, the assets have to be somewhere else. You know, And we've yeah. had offers from DCG and from Nexo and from all these other platforms to give Bitcoin and crypto yield to all of our users using their platform. Am I simple answer was no i'm not sending our customer assets off our platform when we do staking it'll be on-chain staking only um it's not artificially created bitcoin yield or xrp yield or any of that garbage uh it's ethereum staking and it's dot staking and it's cadano and those kind of things which are on-chain and and actually DeFi. DeFi and actually, and actually uh, can still remain and yeah. actually can still remain controlled by our yeah. vaults. You know, I don't yeah. have to trust my account manager sitting in Singapore that we're going to get our funds back. And that's kind of the root of this this Gemini DCG feud that's going on as well. Yeah. So I mean, just to kind of wrap things up, I guess from from my side is to, I'm gonna I'm gonna break this down into two once again another two part question. So the first part is in terms of Coin pass, do you? I mean, this, this is a difficult time for exchanges for businesses yeah. in, in crypto. Um, but do you see 
Do you see opportunity in this? Like, uh, is there an opportunity for you to acquire? Like, what kind of opportunities do you see for your business um, in the current, let's say, in the current market condition? We're not in a position to acquire DCG, if that's what you're asking. No. (laughs) Um, So I think there's always opportunities to acquire customers. I think even when the market is booming, we're still acquiring customers from our competitors every day because they either have a technical issue or a support issue, or it's their bank giving them grief for sending funds offshore. Um, so we're always gaining, because I, mean, I don't know what, what, I haven't been in Australia for 12 years now, so I don't know the state of kind of fintech and banking and stuff. But you know, I know from my experience, I have like five bank accounts, because if one gets shut down, I'm very disloyal like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure crypto and exchange is exactly the same. I'm sure everyone has a Coinbase account, everyone's got a Binance account, everyone's got a, a crypto.com if you must have it. But there's all there's always kind of pros and cons to all of them. And if you have some funds stuck or you pay a ridiculous fee or you get slipped on a trade or you have a poor customer support, people mm-hmm. leave those platforms in droves all the time. Yeah. Um, so we've always acquired users that are specifically UK-based because no one can beat our banking connectivity. We don't have third-party banking providers. We actually have one-to-one, you know, tier one banking alignments. Uh, sorry, yeah, e- e-payment company alignments. So we don't send our funds into Clear Junction and they process it for us. We process it ourselves with our banking provider, and we mm-hmm. talk with them every single day. We talk with the regulator once a week. We talk with, you know, only when necessary. We talk to the National Crime Agency. But we have a lot of really strong inroads with all of our UK counterparties. So when someone wants to, you know best case scenario wants to sell off a million pounds worth of Ethereum, they can have it in their bank that afternoon. You know, mm-hmm. you just won't get that with anybody else because of the way we positioned ourselves with our banking providers and stuff. So we think we're one of the closest aligned into UK banking. Um, we want to start replicating that. We do do Euro right now, but we want to do a bit more work on the Euro side this year. Mm-hmm. And we we're actually about to launch our first um, Neo banking client. So they're going to be uh, on-ramping with us, trading with us, and custodying with us as well. So I'm really looking forward to launching that solution with them. Excellent. Um, so final question from my side is, you, you kind of showed it on your sleeve there. Uh, by the dip. Always. It's not no. financial advice. It's a meme. I can get away with it. I got it cleared <laughs> by compliance. But, but, but I guess, um, let me not go long-term because clearly you're a, a, a maximalist. Um to, to some oh degree. no! Clearly, come on, mate. Yeah, yeah, clearly, yeah. a Mac. I'm, I'm, I'm bullish. I'm bullish on the on the infrastructure. I'm bullish on the tech. I mean, everyone wants to trade it. Everyone wants to get rich, and that's just yeah. the same as any other industry. But yeah. we are still at a very early stage. Yeah, we're under. Yeah, we're under a billion users. Let's let's say that much. Yeah. But when the big banks, the big tier ones, are holding back for regulation, and regulation's finally here, they're investing in infrastructure. They want it fast and secure. They don't want to deal with ledgers and private keys. They want it done properly. And that's what we're seeing right now. This is just a blood in the streets event, like 2000 tech boom, where 90% of the market gets wiped out. And the players that hang around for the long term, they become your Facebook, your Apples, your Netflix, all those kind of things. So it's just one of those moments. And it looks really ugly. And people are losing a lot of money. People are losing their shirts. People are losing money. They probably shouldn't have been in a position to lose mm-hmm. in the first place. Um, that's just the nature of human greed and cycles. We've done this before, and it will probably happen again. <laughs> well, Jeff, it's been a fantastic conversation. I've enjoyed myself talking to you and learning from yeah, you. So, thank so, you for inviting me. It's been good fun. Thank you very much.